Hello and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty and this week I'm talking to Asma Maksud Shah, who is Principal at High Hazels Academy in Sheffield. Now, Asma and I met last year at a, on a webinar uh, that was organised by the Teaching Vacancies Service and we were talking about flexible working and Asma's example is really fascinating so I wanted to follow up by having a longer conversation with her about how she went from being quite sceptical about flexible working in a school context and how it might work to actually being a real a real convert and advocate for flexible working as it helped her recruit and retain great staff that helped her turn her school around. Uh, in the podcast notes, you'll find some further links to resources, case studies and information about flexible working and about the teaching vacancies service. So I hope you find all that really useful. As ever, the podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I am joined by Asma Maksud Shah, who is Principal at High Hazels Academy. Hi there, Asma, how are you? I'm good. Hi, Caroline. Nice to see you today. Thank you so much for, for joining us. We're going to talk um, a bit about flexible working and, and how you've kind of created a culture of flexibility across your, your school. But could we kick off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and your career to date? Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think um, my career's been straightforward and tricky at the same time. I started teaching in 2000 as an early years, I'm an early years trained teacher. Um, I worked my way uh, up the ladder into leadership uh, and got my first headship in 2016. Uh, I'm currently principal at High Hazels Academy. Um, it's a, well, we are technically two large three form entry nursery and in, nursery infant and a junior school. Um, you know, it is, it's a very diverse, school in the heart of Sheffield, in a very defined part of Sheffield, actually. And um, have you had any experience of working flexibly yourself? Uh, unfortunately, I haven't. However, um, uh, my husband has and has worked flexibly for the last 15 years. Um, and that's just been amazing for us as a family. I have four children um, uh, and, a, and a career. Um, plus a husband, so it, one of us had to, you know, compromise on certain things. Um, and my husband, Max, has been fantastic. He's worked flexibly and he's been very fortunate working for the university um, flexibly for 15 years. Um, and that's helped me progress in my career. It's also helped us look after the family as best we can um, and also helped him stay in the job and, and build his career, albeit a bit slower than mine. Um, and he's now going back into full time. So as our kids have gone older, 
Oh, that's that's I read the benefits of flexible working in a way, indirectly. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating and um uh you know an, an interesting switch. I, I imagine in, in, in quite a few people's experience it's it's well for a start, it's often the the the, the female in a kind of male female relationship that might be expected to be the one working flexibly. Um and it's great to see um that sort of shift there. And also um, you know, some sometimes it is the 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 the, the partner who's the the teacher maybe uh who is perceived as having more option to 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 work flexibly um with you know um the timetable mirroring children's timetable etc um so that's that's really that's really interesting and um you you told us a little bit about um high hazels there it'd be really interesting to to hear a little bit a bit more particularly about that that interesting situation of of being kind of two two schools on co-located um, um, and, and a bit more about your kind of context and improvement journey. Okay, um, well, we are technically two schools, whilst we, if you Google us, you'll find us as High Hazel's Academy. Um, it's a three-form entry nursery infant and a three-form entry junior school. We take children from two to 11 across the two schools. And as you said, we are co-located on, on a site and my office and the admin office kind of links the two schools together, but we do have two offsteads, two DFE numbers, and we're expected to fill in two budgets and, and so on and so forth. Um, we are, um, well, as I said, between the two schools, we have nearly 700 pupils uh, from two to 11. Um, we are at the heart of a very deprived uh, part of Sheffield. In fact, I think we're in the bottom 10% nationally for poverty, sadly. Um, however, um, having said that, you know, we, the, the community might be economically deprived. We're not ambition deprived. Um, our community is quite um, ambitious for their children. Um, we speak, you know, it's a very diverse community. We serve many nationalities, about 29 languages spoken in our school. Um, and hopefully, uh, as we go through the conversation, I'll, I'll be able to share with you some of the successes we've had around flexible working, one of which has been diverse staff team um, to mirror our community as well. And that's been possible through flexible working. Um, we do have a, a naturally a high proportion of free school meal and people premium children. Um, most of our families have at least one parent who doesn't speak English. Um, which brings some challenges, but also opportunities for us. Um, when I first joined the schools in 2014, it was, um, standards were very low in both schools. Staff turnover was very high. It was well above national. And when we became an academy in 2015, it, was, it, has, it remained for a period above the trust um, uh, level of, uh, uh, of staff turnover. Staff absence levels was very high. Um, and most important, uh, standards were very low, as I said, but most importantly, um, parent satisfaction was low as a result of that, you know, staff morale low, standards low, um, communication poor between leadership, staff, staff community. Um, it wasn't the best place to be as, as, um, as an employee or even as a leader. It was a tough, um, tough place to work in many ways. Um, and, and as part of the United Learning Trust, we do an annual staff survey. So from that, um, when we looked at where are we as a baseline as a school, um, amongst beyond all the other things that I've said, there was very little trust and alignment with the school between staff and, uh, and leadership. 
uh, as well as a community. Um, and on top of all of that, we struggle to recruit. Um, so we would put our adverts with um, various additional remunerations attached to it with TLRs and so on, and we would get zero applications. Um, so recruitment was impossible. So as you can see, there was a lot to be done. Yeah, um, a, a, a tough role for you, for you coming in there. And um, I'm interested in, in terms of having the kind of two, two separate schools together. And you're saying there's sort of challenges around kind of communication and, and leadership. Um, was, was that part of it, really, that they, they were sort of more separate uh, entities? Yes. Um, yes and no. I think that the, the no is from that although they are technically two schools, we had a single governing body mm. um, and staff were uh, unofficially uh, asked to move between the two schools. So they were most staff, some staff were flexible to work from one from the infants and the juniors and vice versa. Uh, but on the other side, it was very much us and them in the culture of the two schools. The infants, the standard was slightly better. It had a higher proportion of younger staff who were new to the school compared to the junior school, which had more experienced teachers who had been part of um, the inadequacies of the legacy of, of the previous legacy, I suppose, and who were perhaps a bit more disgruntled uh, than the infant staff. And therefore they felt, oh, we were the, the the, the lesser attainers of the two schools and um, the infant schools better than the junior school. And sadly, some of that was perpetuated by uh, the, the previous leadership around, um, well, if infants can do X and why can't the juniors? And it was, it wasn't a, a one team, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. As, as, as you say, it's, um, it is a very it's a very sort of different situation when you can when you can kind of um divide almost and say point to to one side over the other that's always going to cause um uh resentment i suppose would be would be the word there and um obviously the 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 decision um to 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 con convert did this did this come about around kind of school school improvement uh, yes, partly to do with school improvement, the um, the local authority resources have been dwindling uh, nationally, not just in Sheffield, um, and that's the school needed a lot of support around uh, professional development of staff, around dealing with a lot of the, the chaos that was going on generally with HR and so on, um, and therefore the you know standards being low, it was the right decision. We needed capacity to be supported uh, externally. And uh, the right decision was to academize. And we weren't a forced academy. Uh, it was a, a, you know, it wasn't a forced academy, but uh, it's definitely been the best thing <laughs> uh, we did for the school. It, it has brought so many strengths into it from staff CPD to um, um, getting up, um, from staff CPD, communication with community, retention of staff. Uh, but particularly raising standards, um, the trust has been instrumental in, in, in supporting the school leadership in that. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was around school improvement um, yeah. why the decision was made to academise. Great. And uh, what what I mean, we can talk about flexible working. And I think, you know, something that, that I've observed, certainly from the conversations that I've had about it is that you do need to 
make make some quite fundamental changes to your kind of systems and processes to enable people to to work flexibly um easily um yeah. and so so what what particular changes did did you make at school to enable flexible working and create a culture of flexibility across the staff body and the school community well i came into flexible working out of desperation <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I've already created the sea I'm being very honest um, yeah. I, I was sadly and I'm, I'm you know it's what it was where I was um, in my career I as a teacher I always thought oh part-time staff are pain as a leader you know I, I got through my career seeing heads and leaders complaining about part-time staff um, being difficult um, being needy uh, there's cost to it so for me as a leader, that was what I knew, and it wasn't something I wanted to do or, or go into. I inherited a small number of part-time staff, um, and that was it. I, you know, it wasn't something, and I came to it because um, of all the issues we had at that time. Uh, and the trust approached me and said, um, Asma, there, there is um, a project around flexible working that we want to, to pilot with some schools. Would you be interested? It might be. Um, another way of, of school improvement for, for the school and stabilizing schools since recruitment is so difficult. Uh, so we can improve retention, if nothing else. Um, and I was like, skeptically, I said, oh, okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, I find it hard to say no as well. Um, you know, and, and, and I just jumped into it and thinking, okay, we need to do something. We need to do something drastically different to what we are currently doing. Um, so we took part in this, in this project and the first bit of the project was um, getting to understand what flexible working is and um, uh, of course I had very fixed um, views based on my experience of what I've seen what flexible working is I understood a bit more about it's not just about part-time and part-time is only in just one way uh, understanding the cost of flexible working understanding the reasons having a rationale building our own rationale based on our core values as a trust but as a school and and me as a leader uh, you know there has to be a, a real core purpose of why we would do anything and a real rationale behind it and also financial sustainability um, how can we do this and make sure we can sustain um, this without um, watering down any of what we're trying to achieve um, so considering other forms of flexible working was a real eye-opener uh, as part of the uh, part of that, that training that I had um, and we started to take steps from being reactive um, to being proactive around uh, flexible working so whereas at that point when we started um, the only time we considered flexible working was one um, as you mentioned earlier, maybe a member of staff has had a baby uh, and she emails me to say, oh, I want to go part time. Uh, and that was, you know, and, and we'd react to that. Um, and it, I, we felt that, no, we need to be a bit proactive about this. And we looked at different ways. And the first thing we did was around talking to staff about that this is something we're looking at proactively as school leaders. Um, we want to consider flexible working for people. Uh, we also looked at actually, what do we already do beyond the part-time contracts for people that comes under the flexible working? So looking at, um, there were some members of staff that had some flexibility around leaving early to collect their children or uh, coming in that little bit late uh, on a regular basis for a period of time to care for an elderly parent 
Um, so, you know, we recognize that we do do some of it, but it was as a reaction to something, as a request. Um, so I think that being proactive and putting systems in place um, and communicating that clearly with staff um, has been the biggest shift for us is that, um, it, you know, and, and we made, I made it clear to staff that all reasons can be valid for flexible working. Uh, it's not just about having a baby. It's not just about having elderly parents or a sick member of family or friend that you've got to care for. Um, all reasons are valid. If you feel that flexible working will get the best out of you for the job um, and we can make it work as a school, then we will consider it. We will consider all requests. Um, anyways, um, I, I and I also made it very clear that just because someone puts in a request doesn't automatically equate to a yes. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it was a two-way process. Um, I never guaranteed that it would be a yes, but what did guarantee is that I would absolutely consider it and consider it openly with an open mind uh, and try my best to accommodate where we can. Um, and then it was about taking that out to the parents and to the community and to governors uh, and saying, this is, this is a different way of us working around recruitment and retention of staff. Um, and that did come with some challenges. Um, but, you know, especially in primary, I suppose parents have this perception that um, uh, part-time teachers are difficult because um, which teacher do you talk to? It's inconsistency for my child. Um, uh, you know, they want one teacher to talk to all of the time because the child connects with them. Um, and, and getting rid of that perception that it isn't how many teachers in front of your child is actually the best learning that happens in a classroom that's most important. Um, so we had to do some work on that as well. <laughs> Does that answer your question, Caroline? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what's really interesting is um, firstly the way that... Um, you know, you're, as you say, your school was in a difficult situation regarding school improvement. It wasn't, you know, that everything was working well. What else can we do? What would might be nice? Oh, let's do some flexible working. But it was quite intrinsic to making sure you had a strong, a strong committed um, team to, to move forward to the next stage. Actually, a big part of that was, was deciding to work flexibly. And then also um, starting to move away from that idea of, um, you know, if we keep our heads down and make don't make too much noise about it, hopefully not too many people <laughs> will ask us um, and we can manage the people that do to thinking, at, you know, how could how can you enable everybody to think for themselves about about what might work better for them, but then also getting to a point at which you know you're you, you're running things in a way um, where it doesn't become a big deal. You're not a sort of marked out as you're a flexible worker and you're not that everyone can start to see um, see flexibility in their role. So you're not again you're not building that that sort of those people are allowed it and we're not um, mindset um, within within school. And uh, can you give some some sort of examples of 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 changes that you that you maybe that you maybe implemented that have been successful? Um, in what sense is as in in, the, in, in, the in terms of changes to your processes or you know CPD or or, ha or how you how you've actually kind of um, changed things you do to to so that that people can access um, aspects of their job more flexibly. I, I think that the, the biggest change was actually 
changing the culture, shifting, mm. like you said, instead of it becoming everyone works full time in a certain way, and some people do have flexible working, is actually mm -hmm. changing the culture and saying we are all working flexibly in some shape, way, or form. Um, you know, when people are um, uh, allowed to go and watch their child's nativity play, yeah. um, that is us being flexible and allowing them to work, or if someone has a child that's not well and we allow them to have PPA at home, yeah. that's flexible working. Um, so I, I think it's the, the first thing I think that was that we had to do is to articulate, to communicate that um, openly to staff and the community and to governors that this is what we are doing differently from here on in and this is what it could look like. Uh, being clear about um, that it's open for all um, and the process is you just need to knock on my door and come in. The door is always open. Come and have a chat with me uh, and tell me sooner rather than later what you're thinking. Um, it's that proactiveness and, and, and allow, it's not just a letter or an email that pops into a senior leader's inbox. Um, so that, they, that was the first step into it. Um, of course, like you said, people then said, oh, that's an opportunity. That's a cue for me to do what I've always wanted to do. Um, and, and that was the point where I had to put myself where my mouth is. <laughs> I said I was going to do this. Now people are asking. I've got to then um, do it properly. So I had staff that started to have conversations with me, with other senior leaders around uh, flexible working and what that would look like for them and what they would want and reasons why. Um, you know, once the discussions have been had, then they were asked to put it formally uh, in a letter requesting with clear reasons as to why they want. And I've had um, requests over the years for all sorts, but, you know, beyond the, the typical ones that we're used to as school leaders around maternity and elderly parent care, which tends to be the ones that I've experienced for flexible working. Um, I've had members of staff who've sent me a request based on, I want to go four days because I want to pursue um, becoming a nutritionist uh, and I need a day a week to train. Uh, uh, and she was given up. The, the, um, we've changed our contract to flexible work and so she works four days a week and has done for the last four years uh, because we could accommodate it and it works for the school. She was a very experienced teacher um, and very um, valued at what she brought to school. So it was that or a case of her um, stepping down because I knew she, she would go mm. if she didn't. And she didn't say anything like that, but I knew that she had enough flexibility in her circumstances to say, well, I want to do the next thing in my life and uh, you know, if this doesn't work, I'm going to do something else. And we retained her, um, which is great. A valued member of my estates team said, I want to pursue a, a volunteering role um, on Fridays uh, to support uh, mountain rescuing. Um, and therefore, you know, it was a case of, okay. And I actually made some savings from making him go four days a week. So it ticked a box for me there. So it's getting through the process and actually walking the walk was the mm. next step is we're saying that we will consider it then we actually demonstrate to the staff and the community clearly that we are taking those um, requests seriously and whilst we didn't accept and agree to all of them um, the ones that we did uh, were yeah. done fairly and you know we benefited from it exactly and 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 how nice to sort of be able to celebrate some of the you know different skills or uh, achievements or activities that that the people are pursuing alongside their their careers um and kind of enriching this 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 the school in that way and i think it it is it is 
I imagine, um, and I speak as a, as a governor who's obviously had to consider flexible working requests in the past, um, I think what, what, what people might feel concerned about is when you kind of open the floodgates and say, you know, kind of hit me with your creative and different <laughs> sort of requests, is that you then don't really have a kind of precedent, rule book, um, you know, someone else to call to mind who's, you know, at a similar level or doing a similar job and doing it four days or whatever, <clears throat> that you kind of, um, you, you're kind of freed up in some ways from, from that kind of guidance, but at the same time, you might feel a bit more vulnerable in terms of making that decision and then people, you know, not being happy with the, the, the decision that you make um, because you are in this sort of new territory. But like you say, that's where the kind of culture um, becomes so important um, that it that it doesn't become about individuals experiences it becomes about what you're trying to do as a, as a community but I'd be interested in your kind of reflections on on, on sort of taking that that step I think that the, the most important thing I found um, was around that clear communication in that initial informal meetings that we have with colleagues around uh, what do you want why do you want it how does it fit? into the school um, journey where we sit. Um, and, and some of it is come to me with um, your solution to, or how we're gonna backfill some of that gap uh, in a practical way. So putting some of that responsibility of thinking on them. And it's not about them doing my job for me. It's about them going through the process I'm going to go through in my head is, how is that going to work? Not just for the timetable, but actually, practically and where we as a school are on the journey and what I bring to the table, how's that going to be backfilled if I'm not? So for example, if I'm a core subject leader of English or maths, that leave and I'm going to go three days a week, that's going to leave a big chunk. Is there capacity in school? Is there someone else that can hold the fort on those two days? Uh, and so on and so forth. So people come having, I found that in the initial conversation, initial days it was just some did come randomly <laughs> uh, but we then went back and said to people look these are the these are the guidelines these are the things you need to consider before you come and talk to me um, around your role what you bring how it's going to impact on your role and what you bring to the school but also um, come with some solutions um, or some ideas of how we could backfill some of that um, so the clarity around, but also I think the the honesty, being open and honest and not um, being worried or scared of saying to staff, actually, I don't think that's a good idea at this point. I don't think it's a good idea for you, for your career at this point, but also I don't think this would work for school. Or, you know, at times I've, I've always said to staff, I will think about it before you put it in writing. Yeah. There's no point you sitting there and putting something in writing. Let me go think about it look at the books, look at my numbers as well, because um, I've got to run a school and it's got to be financially viable. So I have to consider everything. Um, so it's that, it's that, I think it's that allowing people to feel that it is a possibility for them, yeah. but also equally making sure that people feel aligned and care enough about the organization that it's not uh, just a personal decision. It actually doesn't have a negative impact. Uh, because it could, if you know, if if it's just handed out like sweets, flexible working without any careful planning, it is a disaster, an absolute disaster. Um, but that wasn't what we were aiming for. We were aiming for recruitment retention, recruitment to decrease and retention to yeah. to increase in a sense. 
to allow us for that sustained school improvement. And I think having the staff on board and alongside the flexible working um, that work that we were doing, we were also doing a lot of work on staff well-being. I uh, was part of the Robertson Cooper pilot project uh, around improving staff well-being um, to increase staff alignment and engagement with leadership. Um, and hand in hand, I think they both kind of supported each other um, as the staff became more and more aligned to the organization, I think, and had more affiliation to, to us. We weren't just a check at the end of the month of, and a horrible place to be. It was actually somewhere I care about, somewhere I believe in, somewhere where I belong and I can make a difference. And I think people then um, think and now think a lot more carefully about um, their place in the organization i hope i've answered that yeah no that's and, and that's fantastic and i think it is crucial that sort of feeling of like as you say you're aligned to the organization's goals if you're thinking i would like to work flexibly however there are these aspects of my role that that also need to happen how can how can we as an organization you know get that get that work done rather than seeing yourself as just somebody who has to come in and do these hours because you have to um yeah uh, and 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 that you know changing that um, mindset is it makes a huge difference. You, you mentioned there was a little bit of um, challenge from from the the parents to get their understanding of 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 how um you know having multiple adults um working with their their children could be could be benefit. Was there was there any other sort of challenge or opposition that you faced, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, I think um, timetabling. Uh, is always a challenge, even in a primary school, um, when you've got part-time or, or staff on flexible flexible hours. Uh, communication was a challenge. You know, if you've got a, a range of staff um, who are off at different points in the week, uh, and we send out a, a memo or and so on, things do get missed. And what I've also noted that uh, in my school, for sure, that um, staff can sometimes be very sensitive. Um, is I wasn't considered because I wasn't here. And actually, no. So we had to think really carefully how we communicate in which mode and how we've got different points in the week where we can reiterate some of that um, through the middle leadership um, and so on. So communication was a challenge at the start, I have to say, and we didn't always get it right. Um, and I think we're, we're improving, absolutely improving on that. And, you know, at some point, if I, if I get the opportunity, I'll share our staff survey comparison from 2017 to, to, to this year um, around communication and other aspects, you'll see a real difference. Um, I, th I think um, cost was, was a challenge and it wasn't necessarily, especially in the early days, it was a real challenge because uh, my recruitment costs were very high. The cost of uh, retention was high because staff were given um, really high TLRs um, to, to keep them in the job um, on top of staff absence, which was really high uh, because of staff's dissatisfaction with the school leadership. Um, so the costs, the running costs of the school was already at a really high level and to try and accommodate flexible working and the cost that comes with that was a challenge, but I had to take the leap of faith and, um, you know, the trust did support me on that and say, no, we understand that at this point. But the idea was as, as retention improves, those additional costs of recruitment and, and retention will reduce and therefore it will balance out with any additional Cost of and at the and actually over the last five years or at least since I've been head 
uh, in, in the two schools, um, we've always had a surplus budget. Um, you know, we've always managed to do the 2% surplus required by the trust and it's more, um, despite the huge amount of, um, and I do think it's huge compared to where we were, um, a number of, of, of staff uh, working flexibly, um, which is massive uh, at the moment in school. <laughs> so um, it cost was a challenge for sure. Um, I think uh, um, articulating the equity of access to the process um, was a challenge as well. There was staff who felt, oh, this is just for uh, staff who get pregnant and have babies. This is not for me. Um, it's just for women, not men. Um, you know, and the two examples I gave earlier, the first was a female teacher, the second was a male member of staff. So um, I think we, we had to do a lot of work on, it's not for a particular group of people, it's a cultural shift. We want the best people in front of our children and therefore we will try our best to accommodate different needs. Um, they, they were kind of the, the, the biggest, and I suppose with parents, um, it was tough at the beginning because um, there was little trust between the community and, and school. Um, and on top of that, to have additional different staff working with them. But the reality is, is very quickly as standards started to improve, the parents realized that this is actually good for my kid. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if they have two teachers, the two teachers between them are helping my child make more progress than they've ever done with one teacher. Um, you know, so I think they, they, it took a little longer as our results started to improve across the school, uh, they could see the difference it was making on standards and staff morale and stability. Um, I think that, and as our trust as leaders with the community improved, I think they started to trust more in my judgments. I went less from being, because uh, I wasn't part of the old legacy, mm -hmm. but I was still a school leader. Uh, I was able to demonstrate a shift. And I think that settled the parent anxiety around flexible working. Indeed. And and what role did governors play in the process? Uh, I was very fortunate that the governing body, um, right from the beginning, was, um, I think they saw me as the change, as mm. someone who's going to come in and make a real difference. I wasn't the problem, I was the solution for them. Uh, and they trusted uh, in me and what I was trying to do and, and recognised that uh, the, my academy trust was also behind me and therefore it was something worth pursuing and whilst they some did have reservations uh, and we did have lots of conversations I was um, really conscious of, um, of constantly reporting back the positives of improvements and changes uh, and pointing out where um, flexible working has been one of, of it's not the only reason why things improve, but it, where it's been, it's made a real difference in something I've made a point of putting it in my head teacher report. Uh, that see, you know, that person's working part time, but look at what they've done for X in school. So um, they, they, they came on board fairly quickly, uh, partly also out of desperation. <laughs> we needed to do something different mm. and, and they were willing to, to pursue whatever we could to improve things. And and in terms of, um, you know, some of those sort of improvements that you've been reporting to governors and kind of general benefits to current staff, um, you know, are, are there, what would you say those were? And, and are there any other areas that you still want to focus on? Well, there's been massive improvements. Um, first off is staff morale, uh, staff engagement, um, incredibly, we went from 2017, we had um, alignment was 41% uh, 
of our staff felt aligned to the school values and school leadership. Uh, we did one this November, gone 92% alignment. That's a massive difference. Mm. Um, uh, you know, to, to see that so many staff feel that they are part of the High Hazel family, and that's what we call ourselves, uh, has been a lot of work from a lot of people. Um, you know, engagement is up to 87% from 50-something. Loyalty from 59% has gone up to 85%. This is the staff telling us what they think, and it's an anonymous um, survey that's done trust-wide. Um, so I, I have no way of influencing this other than it's in their hands on the day. So, and, and the fact that um, staff absence, staff retention has improved. Um, we've gone from recruiting just on the teaching side between six to eight teachers a year to I took on one additional teacher for catch up last year. Um, and that's been <coughs> the year before we recruited two NQTs. Um, and the year before that, we, we didn't recruit any. So retention has been fantastic over the last three years, um, and therefore recruitment has been very low, um, which, which is, again, is fantastic on many levels, not just the cost, but actually, especially around um, the school improvement journey. Uh, we don't have to, every year used to feel like we're starting from scratch because at least a third of my teaching staff are new, um, whereas now we all know and subscribe to the school culture and to our values and and are into the journey um you know i mentioned standards the quality of teaching um of course if standards are improving it is around the quality of teaching being consistently good and better uh, both schools were ri for a period of time they have been good now for some time and our standards are have remained at or above national for the last three years um, and we've maintained our 2019 standards despite COVID. Um, so again, that is about staff commitments. That is about improvements in teaching and learning and flexible working, um, I think, processes and culture in our school has definitely has been a high contributor to that. Um, and therefore, you know, I'm quite happy to come and talk to anyone who wants to know about it, because um, if anyone was in a desperate situation, it was us. Um, and, and it has really made a difference. And um, in last year, we were uh, given the school uh, recruitment award based on our work for flexible working. So we've been recognized uh, by an, for, with a national award uh, for the work we've done around flexible working. So lots of real, real positives. Um, and the school is definitely on the up on all, on all measures. And um, one final um, improvement, I suppose, is around the diversity of our staff team. Um, as I mentioned right at the beginning, we serve a very diverse community. When I first started, um, we had one other Asian teacher in the school. Um, now, my one of my vice principals is, is Asian. We have lots of male compared to what we didn't have before. Uh, we have lots of people working flexibly. We have very young staff. We have much older staff. Um, we have people of all orient, sexual orientations working with us. Uh, we're just, you know, you walk in through the door and the minute you get to the office, you can see we are a reflection of our community in the sense of we're very diverse in our makeup uh, and flexible working is allowed for that. Um, whether it's when we're recruiting, that was another thing that we did. Um, sorry, I should have mentioned that earlier around recruit, recruitment. Um, when we put our adverts, we make sure that it is very clear that we welcome 
um, requests for flexible working and that we would consider applications for those uh, we want the best candidate. Um, so being it's part of that being proactive and as a result of that we've had people apply and say uh, you know um, I want to take this job on but I can I can't do uh, you know, I want a condensed week, for example, and it would fit in my role as a as an admin person. And we've taken them on, um, which which has been fantastic. So, um, yeah, I've gone from being a skeptic, um, a bit very close minded about flexible working, to someone who is saying, "Give it a go." <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And obviously, you mentioned you don't need to do as much recruitment any anymore, but the fact that you do communicate. Um, your openness to flexible working um, externally in in those recruitment um, uh, in, in that inf- recruitment information is really crucial. And and you and I uh, met on a on a on a on a webinar, and that was you know something that we were discussing quite quite a lot really um, in 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 reference to um, you know how how you how you set the tone and recruit people. Um, so you don't have to go through the process that, that you did almost of kind of selling it back to people as, a, as an opportunity, yeah. being being really proactive um, from from the beginning and, and, and open to it. And as you say, you don't have to say yes to every every sort of request that is that is made or every you know thing that people come up to you within an interview. Um, but you, you know, consider it um, and, and, and that's the, the best place to to start. Um, obviously, the, the the pandemic has put some some further momentum behind flexible working. Interestingly, I remember having conversations, you know, kind of pre pre twenty twenty about about flexible working, and and a, a lot of it, you know, like the idea of not being in school to to teach, you know, was was that was the kind of limiter on on a lot of a lot of thinking. Really, do you do you think there are still some barriers that need to be removed in the education sector to go to go kind of further on this agenda and get more schools in, involved if, if so what do you think they are oh absolutely there are lots of barriers in education i think lots of uh, non-educational organizations have recognized this a lot earlier than us in education that flexible working um, is good for the organization but also necessary um, to to sustain but also to uh, manage talent in your organization um, so yeah, I think we are leaps behind everyone else around us in education. There is this very fixed mindset that this isn't something we do in schools, and uh, you know this is something that sits in business and in corporate doesn't sit with us. Um, and we've we've got we've got to shift. Um, we, we've got to shift that as school leaders. Uh, they, we have to dispel that myth and more people like yourself, uh, Caroline, that bring this forward and talk about it and, and so on, the better it is for us. And um, we should be more willing, um, I suppose, to take the leap of faith on this and to actually learn from non-educational organisations um, because there's a lot to learn from um, different organisations, I suppose, who... Um, are doing really well. I think there is also the 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 barrier of a generational difference. You know, uh, all the research tells us the younger generation. I have two um, two of my four children are at university. One's about to finish, and she's already said, "I'm not going to do full time working. Um, I, I want to have work three days as a GP, and I want to do um, two days something else. I don't know what, but I definitely won't be committing to full time. Um, and if that's if she's a, an example of some of our um, 
young people coming into 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 the world of work then we've got to think actually yeah how are we going to encourage these people to take on a job um and and to and to do well in it um but there is also that you know that need i think generally even with with my generation and the generation older we are seeing the benefits the pandemic has made us recognize that there's another way of working it doesn't always have to be this way and therefore, we can't erase that from people's mind and say, oh, you know, just forget about it. It was a pandemic. People do recognize that there are different ways, you know, things that we have kept on uh, from lockdown into the school opening, for example, uh, meeting virtually instead of trekking, you know, 45 minute drive to someone else's school when, you know, if it's the best way and most efficient way, uh, parents evening being virtual, again, we've, we're retaining that as a way of working. So maybe the pandemic is a good catalyst for people to, in education, to recognize uh, that that is something we need to be working on. I think cost can be a barrier um, to schools. Um, there is a, a, a cost attached to flexible working. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but it isn't a barrier we can't overcome. It's about wanting something enough to be able to do something about it. It takes a bit of creativity. It takes a bit of risk. Um, but if uh, managed, it, it can work. Um, you know, and, and there are lots, I'm not the only school surely in the, in the country that has managed to retain a good budget and, you know, and at the same time um, have a, a, a good staff group um, of many of whom work flexibly. Um, so cost can be, and again, I think um, perhaps there's a role here for um, multi-academy trust leaders, for the DfE, to actually promote those case studies of where this can work and where barriers can be removed. And there is stuff out there. Um, there are case studies, there are researches, there are great webinars that happen and, and, and podcasts and so on. I think it's that promotion of that in, in order for us to change the culture. Um, and I think, uh, you know, schools do need to be, school leaders need to be proactive about it. Uh, but the only way we can do that is to actually convince people like me um, you know that this can work and it's an it's a it's a different way of working but it could be quite beneficial um, uh, so it's that promotion of it, it's that communication of it um, it needs I think that the successes need to be shared more widely yes indeed and I'm sure a lot of people when they've listened to this <laughs> will want to talk to you um, and we'll definitely put links to um, some of those case studies and and resources that you that you mentioned there but um, but I, you know I think I think it's it, it, with, with so many things in education isn't it it's kind of filling the gap between the sort of inspirational um, you know people people who are doing it and then how on earth can I make it work with my budget and my my circumstances and 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 how to sort of you know start taking those those steps for yourself and actually make it make it real um is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we we close oh well I, you know i was just wanting to say the change is inevitable it is going to happen it is happening and whilst it's happening in small pockets around flexible working it will roll out uh, internationally, it's not just the way we work. There's um, countries in the Middle East now that have um, condensed the school week to four days a week. 
you know, and that's part and parcel of, you know, staff well-being, retention and so on. I'm not saying it's going to be that drastic here, but I think it's a, it's not just a national thing. It's it's internationally, um, you know, countries are considering the work-life balance, are considering flexible working uh, to get the best out of their workforce. So, uh, you know, my final words is be open-minded, don't be put off, talk to people um, and get as many um, as many people to back you up and support you. Be brave, I suppose, when it comes to flexible working. I, I had to be really brave considering I wasn't, you know, <laughs> I wasn't the biggest advocate for it when I started. Um, but, you know, it, it has paid off and I don't think it was luck. I think it was, it was hard graft and um, I think resilience in saying we're going to see this through and see how it works and you do get things wrong on the way but when it does work um, it does make a real difference we are a very different organization at school to what we were five years ago uh, and flexible working played a, an integral part in that. Well, Asma, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation and I'm sure it's really going to influence um, the thinking of the people who listen to it. So thank you so much for making the time to talk to us today and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com and please tell us what you think of the podcast. Rate, review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.